Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For my mom's birthday, we took uh, her to her favorite restaurant, which is the Old Country Buffet, and uh, Steph and Raul and the kids. And uh, the food... The food wasn't bad. Uh, it's gotten better over the years. But the entertainment was awesome. <laughs> I'm talking about my grandchildren. Didn't they have entertainment when you were there? Uh, you know, I, I almost could have just not eaten and just watched them. Um, I guess they'd never been there before, or not when they were old enough to know they'd been there. And... And they walked around all those food things, and they came back. Why? Why? And uh, Malachi came back with a perfect meal. Those are his words. He had a piece of pizza, and some macaroni and cheese, and a butter roll. Oh. And he washed it all down with some kind of a frozen colored thing, some slushy thing. That's about what you'd expect from a boy of his age to get for his first course at the old country buffet. And it sounds an awful lot like the spiritual diet of the people of Corinth. A lot of fun food, no vegetables or meat. Let's read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren could not speak to you, I could not talk to you, I could not communicate God's Word to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you are not able to receive it. Even now you're not able to receive it. For you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now in the NIV, the, the, the key word that we're going to be focusing on is that word carnal. It's translated worldly in your NIV, and so you need to, to be aware of that as we, as we talk about this word carnal today. And and the impact that spiritual immaturity has on our Christian life. In order to to really understand this passage, we've got to go back, because if you noticed, what was the first word? And. And that means that it's, it's a connection of a thought. You know that the chapter and verse markings are not inspired from God. The book was given as one whole letter, and the readers would have understood the topic changes just like you would if I, if I was talking about a series of things. You'd know where the topics change. But this is one of those places where, because it's a chapter change, we think, oh, it's a whole new thought. But it's not. It's actually the end of what he started in chapter 2. Let's go back there and just highlight some verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with superior speech or, or something fancy and, and worldly of, or wi- with wisdom declaring the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 6. However, we do speak wisdom among those who are spiritually mature Yet not the wisdom of this world, not worldly wisdom or the rulers of this age. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, 
which God ordained before the ages from our glory. For our glory. And we understood that God has chosen to reveal His truth a piece at a time. And it is complex. And there are many layers. And so Paul said, yes, there is a simple message of Christ. And that's what I spoke to you. Now, there is a complexity to God's Word. I understand that. And he says, we do teach that to those who are mature. Let's move down to chapter 10. God has revealed His truth to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been given to us freely by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not talk to you as to spiritual people. Do you see the flow of this? He says, I came to you and I spoke this way. And yes, there is a complexity to God's Word. And I do speak that way when I'm with mature Christians. But I could not speak that way to you because you are carnal or worldly. And so what we're going to understand today from this passage is this. Spiritual immaturity. You could put the word carnality. You could put the word worldliness. Spiritual immaturity restricts understanding God's truth. Now, the key thing we learned last week from chapter 2 is this. You have to be in Christ. You have to be a believer in Christ in order to understand God's Word. That is the foundational level. God allows the unbeliever to grasp Enough of God's truth so that he can know Christ died for my sins. I am a sinner and I cannot get to heaven without putting faith in Christ. God opens the eyes of sinners that much. But it doesn't go any farther than there until we're a believer in Christ. Because when we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and now we have a spiritual ability to understand the spiritual truth. That's the beginning, but there's one more level, if you would, one more layer to this concept of understanding God's truth. And that is, are you walking with the Lord? Are you spiritually mature or are you not walking with the Lord? And that's what we're going to try to understand today. The definition of spiritual immaturity focuses on three words used in 1 Corinthians 2 and now uh, in 1 Corinthians 3. The first word is spiritual, as I've just been saying. To be spiritual in 1 Corinthians 2 clearly means you have put your faith in Christ and the Spirit has been implanted into you. You don't have to come forward and beg for some, some miracle in order to get the Spirit. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to do something special. When you believe that Jesus died for your sins, when you put your faith there for your eternal life, the Spirit comes in. And you are spiritual. The contrast in 1 Corinthians 2 is between being spiritual and natural. That is, between being an unbeliever, just a normal person, and being spiritual or a Christian. 
The word natural in chapter 2, verse 14, it's the same word we get our word soul from, the word, and, and it comes into our language in the word psychology. Psychos or psukos is the Greek word. And it means to be just a normal human being, somebody who is alive. We'll look at that again in just a minute. And then the word carnal, to be fleshly, to be living in the realm of the flesh. We're going to look at these words one at a time now and understand it. We learned last week that believers are indwelt by the Spirit. And here's, again, a few verses that summarize that truth. Jesus himself said, I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. That change happened on the day of Pentecost when God completed the work of, of spiritual transformation, making it possible for us, the Holy Spirit comes into every believer. Ephesians 1 makes that clear, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I include this verse just to stress this. How do you get the Holy Spirit? By trusting in Christ. You don't do something spectacular, super. You don't, I don't have to lay hands on you or any of that. You get the Spirit by believing in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 6.19 just affirms this reality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God and you are not your own? The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. To be spiritual is to have the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, what we also note in in last week's passage, and the Word will come back to us again this week, to be natural is to be human only. Okay, The word natural refers to the principle of life, to being soulish, to being alive. And that's why um, the word fleshly is sometimes used. The original creation of God tells us about this. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now you say, Dave, tell me exactly what that means. I can't tell you exactly what that means, but you know what I know? God didn't say that about any of the animals. He only said that about us. And so there is a principle of life, of, of the animation of humanity that is unique from animals. And when 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 talks about the natural man, he's just saying this is just a, just a human being, somebody who is alive. There's an acknowledgement that we are different from other created things, but it's just a natural person. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the word natural is also, it stands in contrast to the person who has the Spirit of God. To be in Christ is to have the Spirit. To not have Christ is to be natural. And then we come to this word carnal or worldly as the NIV translates it. The literal word, this word literally means the flesh, to be living like the flesh. And here, this is an important, an important term to get a hold of. To be carnal is to have the Spirit of God, to be a believer, but to live as though you don't. The reason that this is worded so carefully by Paul, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people. 
I had to speak to you as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. What's really important here is these people did not lose their salvation. Their lack of righteousness did not cause God to toss them out of the family. If that was a truth that we needed to get a hold of and believe and practice, right here the Apostle Paul of any of the churches he talked to, he would have said, you Corinthians have lost your salvation. Now what you need is to believe in Christ again and start living righteously. But he didn't say that. He said, I couldn't talk to you as to people who are spiritually mature. I had to talk to you like someone who isn't even a believer yet. And that's what it means to be carnal. You've believed in Christ, but you're going back and living now like someone who does not know the Lord. William Barclay gave one of the best summaries of what it means to live a natural life. To be living as a Christian, but living as a natural person. He said that that person is the man whose interests and aims do not go beyond the physical life. And I think that's what Paul meant when he wrote this in Philippians 3. Many people who call themselves Christians walk, they live their lives, of whom I have told you before, and now I tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. In other words, the the person who is not walking with the Lord takes their vision down from heaven down from the realities of eternity and focuses on this life. What kind of food am I going to enjoy? What kind of pleasure am I going to have? What kind of self-esteem am I going to gather? All of the stuff of this life, that's what I'm all about. That's what it means to be carnal. We're living for the flesh. We're living in the flesh, even though we are a child of God. You see, a Christian is either living in the flesh in this carnal way or living in the Spirit. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God." There's a clear dichotomy here. There's a choice to be made. Perhaps still in some circles, but for sure years ago, there was kind of a mentality among Christians that went like this. Well, here's an unsaved person. And then one day that person got saved. And now they're over here and they're spiritual. And you know, right now they're living in a carnal way. And that was the end of the story. Now, what's wrong with that mental image? What's wrong is, once you come over into Christ, this carnal thing should never be acceptable. It should never be an excuse. It should never be, oh, well, I'm just living kind of worldly right now. We should never come to a point where we somehow accept that. Oh, well, you know, they're away from the Lord. Well, somehow we have to take 
This is an accurate description. It is not an excuse or a justification. And so the Corinthians were living in the flesh. Now there's a particular way that Paul gets after them for. Look at verse 3. What was the source of this immaturity or this carnality for them? You are still carnal. Now, remember this. Do you understand what he said in verse 2 coming into verse 3? He said, when I was there, you were carnal and you're still carnal. That means it had been going on for about a year and a half or more, maybe three years even. You're still carnal. Why? Here it is. For where there is envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Here's that same truth again. To be carnal, you're a Christian, but you're behaving like an unbeliever. How does an unbeliever behave? Envy, strife, divisions. And then verse 4, he comes back to it again. For if you say... I am of Paul, and one somebody else says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? This is what we looked at in the first chapter. In their church, people were dividing up into groups, and they say, well, well, I follow Paul. And somebody else said, I follow Apollos. Somebody else said, I follow Peter. And somebody else said, I follow Christ. And they had groups. It's not wrong to have a, a favorite Bible teacher. It's wrong when it starts to be a matter of pride and division. I'm better than you because my teacher is better than you. Or my teacher is better than your teacher. You know, my dad can beat your dad up. You know, that kind of a thing. That's what they were doing. And the Apostle Paul said, apparently they were doing that when he was there. And I can just hear him going, no, 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 no. Right up until the day that he left. And now he gets this word, this report several years later. And he goes, you're still doing the same thing. Now, in the world, that's normal. Amongst unbelievers, that's normal. This is my party. That's their party. This is my union. That's the management. This is my organization. That's their organization. And mine is the best. You know that I have spent a lot of time with folks in the emergency services over the years. And amongst some of them, there's a real strong attitude that goes like this. Every other organization is messed up. Except this one. And you know, really, only my squad is squared away. That's the way of the world. And that came right into the Corinthian church. And the Apostle Paul said, that is wrong. It is worldly. It is, it is a way of living in the flesh. John MacArthur explained this phrase of envy and strife this way. Jealousy is the attitude. Strife is the action. Jealousy is a severe form of selfishness. And selfishness is one of the most obvious characteristics of babyhood. An, infinite, an infant's life is almost totally self-centered. That's pretty obvious, right? Feed me. Change me. Hold me. Leave me alone. And repeat for about two years and then do everything else that I say. What a picture we ought to stick in our mind. 
If I'm acting like that baby, you know, feed me, change me, take care of me, help me, 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 me. I need to just step back maybe and go, whoa, am I like one of those folks in Corinth? Am I that baby? No, please, please. When you're struggling and need help, ask for help. That is not being self-centered. We go to these extremes. We're either totally self-absorbed or we never tell anybody we need some help. Neither one of those is correct. We need to be open and honest, but at the same time, being concerned for the body of Christ as a whole and not just our little group and our little thing and my particular whatever. What were they jealous and quarreling about? That There was contentions and strife. And you know what? They were arguing. It occurred to me this week. They were arguing for the same reason the apostles argued. Do you remember this? Then he came to Capernaum, and, and when he was in the house, he asked the, the disciples who became the apostles, what was it you were arguing with amongst yourselves on the road? Boy, wouldn't you hate to have to answer Jesus' questions? But they kept silent. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it. And I can imagine they were looking at the ground. For they had been arguing about who would be the greatest. That is the root problem in Christianity, folks. I am the greatest. Jesus hammered and hammered on them. He said, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant. These Corinthians came into Christianity. They got saved. They came in. They went, wow, this guy that's teaching me, he is so great. And no, this guy and this guy and this guy. No, our group's better than your group. And, and they stirred up the church into a place of worldliness. Now, I don't believe that the, this, this whole pride thing was the only sin of the Corinthians. And when he talks about them being fleshly, acting like the flesh, we shouldn't be surprised that when we look at a list of the sins of the flesh, we see a bunch of them in this book. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. All of those things are touched on in this book when Paul says, hey folks, you got some stuff to work on. Yeah. They got drunk at church. At the Lord's Supper. And the hatred part comes in because they told their servants to stand over in the corner with no food or drink. And we'll encounter all these things as we go through the book. And, and, and here is a, a very profound truth that is very simple. If you allow one sin to remain, the others will come along because they're all a family. You can't... We think, oh, I can let this sin in because I can control it. No, you cannot control sin. It controls you. And so... We have got to say no to all these things. They needed to say no. The Christian who allows any sin to remain is carnal. You want a simple definition of what it means to be carnal? I'm, I'm not a fan, uh, and, and you know, I, I very seldom try to, try to correct a, a translation of the Bible. But when the NIV uses the word worldly, the word worldly in Christian circles gets used so broadly 
that it means anything that kind of looks like something I don't like. And this word is talking about something different. It's talking about living in sin, clearly living in sin. So for that reason, I, I, I would like to use the word carnal. The Christian who allows any sin to remain is carnal. William Barclay, commenting on this, put it this way, in the context of a church. If a person is quarrelsome, argumentative, troublemaking, he may be a diligent church attender, he may even be a church office bearer, but he is not a man of God. The godly person, the spiritual person, the spiritually mature person knows how to get along because they're saying no to sin and yes to God and the Holy Spirit is at work in them. The most serious part of this thought from Paul is yet to come. And this is really what he's coming to, what he really wants these Corinthians to get. And that is what I've called the impact of spiritual immaturity. And, and I'm, I'm going to break this down into several pieces, and I hope you really get a hold of these and remember them, because this is right where we live. We are either building up in the faith or tearing down. And the first impact of spiritual immaturity is this. Carnal living restricts the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, look with me, please, at... Uh, well, think about this verse right here. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We're familiar with this verse. We're familiar with some others that I'm going to share. But I want you to think about this as we read them. What's the common idea in these passages? What's the common idea? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's not an accident that this, this word and... And this verse is connected with this verse. One more. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The simple truth is this, friends. Sin and the Holy Spirit do not peacefully coexist. You can do religious things... And you know I don't use the word religious very often, but I'm using it now because it describes doing something that we think is a church thing, but if you're not right with the Lord, it's not really a godly or spiritual thing. You can do religious things while you are living in sin, like going to church, reading the Bible, helping people, but you cannot do anything genuinely spiritual that pleases the Lord while you are living in sin. We don't get brownie points in heaven for reading our Bible every day. God doesn't look down and go, oh, Dave read his Bible, check. Dave read his Bible, check. God is looking down saying, is Dave trying to learn and then trying to apply and trying to grow? When Dave reads the Bible and it says, don't do this, does Dave say, I'm not going to do this? And does he change his behavior? That's what matters about reading the Bible every day. Come into church. God doesn't have a checkbox by your name. You know, and at the end of six months, he goes, you got an A in church attendance. No. Coming to church is about learning from God's Word. It's about worshiping God. It's about ministering to one another. But if there is sin in our heart, that doesn't honor God. Sin and the Holy Spirit do not peacefully coexist. 
And so when we sin, we restrict the Spirit's ministry. Now again, does the Spirit leave when we sin? No. But He stops producing fruit and He starts doing something else. What is it? He starts taking His finger and going just like this on that sinful part of your life. You go, that's wrong. That's wrong. You went to church today, that's still wrong. You've got to change that. You read your Bible, that's still wrong. And we wonder why we don't grasp things, why we don't grow, why we don't learn. And it's because the Holy Spirit is saying, I've already told you about this. Now, if you're not going to do something about it, I'm not going to give you this. You take care of this. And frankly, folks, if you're like me, you might have to take care of this tomorrow again. And maybe the next day. Keep at it. Keep saying no to sin. Keep confessing. Because then the Holy Spirit can be free to produce fruit and free to do some of these other things we're going to talk about. And chief of which is this. Carnal living reduces the comprehension of the Bible. That's the big thing Paul's getting to here. I couldn't talk to you as to spiritual people. I had to talk to you like people of the flesh. I had to give you milk and not solid food because you're not able to receive it. Now, I I use the term reduce. I understand that... uh, Well, you know, I had Raul share last week. Raul talked about memorizing a lot of content so he could pass a Bible test when he was attending a Christian school when he was not a Christian. It's a religious school, we'll call it. Can you learn facts and parrot them back while you're living in sin? I would suppose so. Can you memorize a Bible verse and say the verse? I would suppose so, just like you can memorize a phone number. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about comprehension. Carnal living reduces our comprehension of the Bible. Peter put it this way, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, you know, list of sins, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Clearly, he's not saying just lay aside these sins. And then you'll understand the Bible. He's saying, let go of sin and go after the Bible. You cannot, you cannot hang on to God's Word and sin and, and expect to understand it. Number three, carnal living restricts Christ-like thinking. Look at chapter 2, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians. He concludes this section about... Excuse me, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and Christ comes in and we now have the, a new mind, a new ability to understand Scripture aided by the Holy Spirit and we have a new ability to think like Christ. It's not fully developed. The capacity is there. But the full ability grows throughout our days in Christ. So when we have the mind of Christ, we can understand God's Word and our world. But when we live in sin, we have the mind of the world. Romans 8 summarizes this really well. For those who live according to the flesh, a Christian who's living in sin, 
They have set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or hatred against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow. And a big part of that reason has to do with our mind. We cannot think like Christ. In Tukwila, we live, if, if, if I was standing at my front door, I-5 was about as far away as, as that second house. We live right there where at that time it was 10 lanes wide. I think it's about 14 lanes wide right now. And we were up on a bluff, you know, down from it like this. And I got called by the fire department to go out onto the freeway where there had been an accident almost right in front of our house. And two boys, teenagers, had been drinking all night. And they were walking home. They lived on their own. And they were walking home. And if they'd have walked up our street another quarter of a mile, there's an overpass they could have gone and gone back down and then up to their apartment like that. But they're walking up here and they go, "Ah, that's kind of far. Let's go across the freeway. About three in the morning, drunk. What could go wrong with this plan? They came down there and one boy made it a couple of steps, and the other boy stopped. Now, we don't have any trouble at all looking at that and going, well, those guys weren't thinking straight because their minds were full of alcohol. The alcohol clouded their thinking, and they made a bad decision, and it caused one of them to lose his life. That's just as obvious as the nose on your face. And so is this. If you live in sin... Your spiritual mind is clouded, and when you make a decision, it will not be a godly one. God talks about living in the fear of God, as well as living in the love of God. And, and, and in 1 John, it says, perfect love casts out fear. And what that means is, is if you love God enough, you don't ever have to be afraid of anything from God. But if you don't quite love God that completely, why don't you do what I do and just fear God a little bit? Fear God enough so that you go, man, I want my mind to be clear tomorrow. And so I'm going to say no to sin today. Because I don't want to get right up to the edge of some decision. I'm looking at it thinking it might not be that big of a deal. It might be a big deal. And I'm going to step out and I might just step out and step right into calamity. And I'll look back and go, gee, God, what were you doing? And he'll say, what were you thinking? And you'll say, well, it seemed like a good decision at the time. And the reason is because when the problem is we have let sin go in our life. And so we don't even realize we're just thinking the way we've always thought. And somehow we thought it was good enough, but we're not thinking like Christ. And so when we got right up to the edge of danger, we were not spiritually smart enough to realize, whoa, don't go there. Step back from that. Sin clouds your thinking. So that you do things you should not do and you would not do if you were using the mind of Christ. Our our way of thinking is completely natural, but the question is, is it godly? 
And it can only be godly if we're saying no to sin, no to sin, no to sin, because then the Holy Spirit has the free reign to take God's Word that we've been reading and studying and and help us to live it out. (sighs) Carnal living restricts the ministry of the Spirit, reduces our understanding. Do you see how this is spiraling a little bit? We've, we've restricted the ministry of the Spirit, and now we don't understand God's truth, and then we have to make a decision, and we don't think like Christ, and the result is we have removed the power of godliness from our lives. When we accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit took up resident, residence, it became possible for us to have a new life. And so we're either going to live in the new life or the old life, and that's what Ephesians 4 is about. This, is, this I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, you should no longer walk in a carnal way, in the way of the Gentiles, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Now, that's not ignorance like they're stupid. You know, there's really smart people in the world that create all kinds of things. This is spiritual intelligence we're talking about. This is life intelligence. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work with all uncleanness, with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Your existence does not have to be like their existence. If indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old, uh, the old man which grows corrupt, according to his deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Christian, do you realize we are not limited by the confines of human life? Now, I know that sounds like something you'd hear a guy on PBS say right before he tries to sell you his book. But it's true. Now, I'm physically confined to this life. I can't do anything about my poor joints. And, you know, my tonsils that need to be taken out or whatever. I can't do anything about that. But I am not confined to just a human life. I don't have to live like the lives that are breaking down around me. Because I have the power of God in me. But if I allow sin to stay, I compromise that power of God. Every day, the media tells us stories of people who came to the end of their own resources and resorted to something desperate to try to fix their life or end their suffering. This week, it was a woman who tried to kill her and her, herself and her children by driving into the ocean back east somewhere. Okay, how desperate is that? This week, the father of the young man who killed all of those children at a school last year was discussing his son and the tragedy that ensued. A couple of weeks ago, a young man killed a man for his cell phone in Seattle. And closer to home, we all know about lives and families that are in a tailspin racing toward their crash site. That's how the natural human being lives. But we are not confined to that. And we have to realize we are a new creation in Christ. 
And that power of Christ is available to us, but if we're going to tolerate sin and, and, and nurse it along and sort of pretend like it doesn't exist, we remove that power of God from us. And again, I remind you of the spiral that goes. And the spiral can just as easily be going upward as downward as we get a hold of God's truth, as we obey, as we think like Christ, as we do like Christ, as we grow to be more like Christ. The spiral can be upward. When a believer chooses to live in sin, they choose to go back to the life they had before Christ, a natural human life. Carnal living is the reason the Corinthian church will forever be known as the Corinthian church. <laughs> I mean, if our church was written about in the Bible, I hope it would be more like Ephesus or, or Philippians or, you know, may, maybe like Philippians. We've got a little problem over here, but in general, we're doing pretty good. But the Corinthians, we go, man, I don't want to be a Corinthian church. I don't want to be a Corinthian believer. I want to be a mature believer. You know, we've been talking a lot about health care in recent days because of all the government changes and insurance and all of that stuff. And it's easy in the midst of that to, to fail to be thankful for what we do have. And one of the things that we have in our modern era is antibiotics. Do you realize how much the, life, the average lifespan on the planet changed with the introduction of antibiotics? And the statistic that I researched this way talked about the end of World War II is when the life expectancy in the world went from 50 years up to 80 years because of antibiotics. What happens if you get, a, if you get an illness, say, as a child, and there, you get an ear infection, you get a sinus infection, you get an eye infection, and it can't be treated, it not only affects those things, it may well stunt your growth or slow down your growth. And that's what sin is. It is a spiritual bacteria that causes damaging infections to the life. Natural, spiritual, or carnal? Where are you at today? Heavenly Father, help us all to say no to sin every time it happens. Help me to keep consistent, to be instant with You, Father, I want the mind of Christ and I want that for every person that's here. I pray that You'll work in us and help us grow up in Him. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.